I've got a fresh story from last time. I was out shed hunting. This is a time of year when the grass is still low in the high country, and those of us who love collecting elk and deer antlers and the exceptionally rare moose antler are out there combing the hillsides, you know, looking for a treasure. So that's what I was doing. I was looking for a treasure. I was a man on a mission. I was focused. And I thought I knew where I could get to that nobody had been yet, access some high country that nobody would combed. And <laughs> I was so fixated on finding a big six-by-six six elk shed. And as I'm blasting up this hill, I walk through a field of wildflowers. And they're the very first ones of the year. And it was really surprising to me because it is pretty early still in the high country. But here's this whole, this whole hillside. I don't know, 100, 200 wildflowers. I mean, it was just... Greater than the glory of Solomon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> Knucklehead. <laughs> and, and so anyway, I look at the wildflowers and I go, huh, nice. And, whoosh, you know, I blast on. And there was just that moment. And it's often so quiet. Hmm. Like God doesn't like to have to shout. Hmm. He just said, that is today's gift. And I knew, I knew, I mean, years of idolatry, years of obsession, I knew, oh my gosh, pause, go back. First off, let it go, let it go, Tiger. This mission that you're on, let it go. That's not what today's about. And go back and enjoy this incredible gift. It was gorgeous, you know, and, and linger there and, and realize, you know, there's the gift that I was pursuing the treasure I was pursuing. And then there was the gift he was giving. And they were two very different things this weekend. And I think that's a good, fresh story for me of what it looks like to turn from our obsessions mm. and receive what is being given. Yeah. So welcome back to the Ransomed Heart podcast, friends, John Eldridge and Craig McConnell, continuing our conversation on idolatry what does it look like? And what does it look like to let go of that stuff so that your heart can just be more free mm-hmm. and more free to love God, more free to love others, more free to engage what he is giving and what he is doing just to live a, a truer life? Yeah, yeah. Can I tell a, a story? It's an older one. I think you're going to remember it. It's about my battle with cookies, but... You could insert any other addiction here, drugs, booze, sex, hero worship, whatever it is. John, years ago during a sacred romance conference, you and I, we were praying in your room and just really bearing down with God, guard us from temptation. Oh, late at night. Late at night. I'm remembering this story, right? (laughs) It was after the first session. Yeah. And we had gone back to our room. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And yeah. we're consecrating and praying for the new day. <laughs> or or you were. <laughs> I was there, yes. And I think I was praying. But to illustrate the grip and that something more than just a casual, I need to stop this, is needed to repent and move from idols. Uh, So I leave your room. Yes, we're consecrated. We're prayed up. God is good, powerful, great. The God of the Exodus is 
present and fully alive in my life and heart, I go back to my room and I think, wow, there was a vending machine about two doors up from John's room. And there were some famous Amos chocolate chip cookies, Mm. extra chocolate chips. Mm. I mean, that would be such a nice way to just kind of top off the evening. To celebrate the goodness of God. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And uh, I knew, I knew God was speaking as clear as day. You don't need that. Turn to me. I mean, bring your joy. Bring your anxiety. Bring it to me. So I opened the door, and I remember intentionally walking really quietly by your door. (laughs) Because for some reason, if you saw me, I would have felt just contempt, shame, naked, afraid, and snuck by your door. And I was aware that you could be looking out the little hole, the little security hole. (laughs) And I I put my money in, and it made so much noise. And... uh, the cookies didn't come out. I mean, and it was like, God, no, you can't turn here. No, I will not allow you to go someplace else for comfort. So I went back to my room and um, got a couple more quarters. <laughs> and snuck down the hall, take two, and put the money in and kind of give the machine a little shake, quiet shake. And... It feels out of place to say praise the Lord here, but two packages of cookies came down, and I went into my room, and I ate them, and I felt so horrible, like I'd forsaken mm-hmm. God for mm-hmm. cookies. And I had. Mm-hmm. And I had. Yeah. Jeremiah 2.33, how skilled you are. At pursuing love or idolatry is what's going on for Israel in that place. How skilled you are. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Sneaky. Oh yeah. We're just committed. You know, and after last week, I was more aware. Like we had had an honest conversation about idolatry. And so I'm like, okay, all right. Don't just talk about this stuff, buckaroo. You know, be aware. Mm-hmm. And, and there was the – Shed Antler story, but I was, I was really surprised how much food is what you would call a nearby idol. And the reason why food is such an easy idol is because it's so readily accessible. If you want to have an affair, it takes some effort, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to work on that and hide it and make something, you know. But in a culture like ours, there are these idols that are so easily accessible, shopping, food, alcohol now, drugs, if they are readily accessible to you. I'm just amazed that years and years ago, I was reading an essay on idolatry by a guy who used to teach at Labrie, Dick Kies, and he was talking about how idolatry, there's always a near idol and a far idol, and they usually come in pairs, and the near idol is the thing you can get your hands on. It's the thing that's readily accessible. But then there's always kind of this lofty thing too. You know, and I was saying people make idols of ministry. Yeah. People make idols of their family. Mm-hmm. People make idols of their children. Yeah. You know, and what can look like very noble and good things, you know, the pornography is too obvious. But, I, you know, I don't have any idols in my life. I, 
faithful, you know, at church and I'm serving on these committees and that sort of thing. But maybe it's your ministry. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your health. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. as you think about people, Craig, Uh in your world, what do people make idols of? I'm thinking now of individuals, of um, idols of a, a life with no conflict. Mm-hmm. A life of security that usually represents funds, money, mm-hmm. or position or something. Yeah, clearly wealth, because the wealth is the near idol. It's so accessible, it lets them buy their way into, mm-hmm. you know, an exclusive neighborhood and a beautiful home and the boat and the vacations and the different things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you hit on another one. I'm thinking of, um, the toys we have. Mm. We will occasionally go out to the Colorado River and just enjoy floating on inner tubes or on a friend's boat. But you see people who have every toy possible. Mm-hmm. They pull up with the mm-hmm. huge RV, the trailer with the boat, the ATVs. Yeah, six motorcycles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think guys in particular – really go there it's gear whatever Mm -hmm. your jive is mountain biking or golf or tennis you know skiing it's the gear Mm -hmm. and then it's mastery and then it's you know chasing the perfect powder day chasing the next big wave you know and all the vibe that goes with it the idolatry of the lifestyle Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. you're either radical whoa you're a motocross rider that's so rad or you're a surfer. That's just so cool. Come on. You're just cool. And so you have that. I was trying to describe Dick Kai's thing about you have a near idol and a faraway yeah. idol. And the near idol for the surfer is, you know, the day, the wave, the beach, the board, the stoke, uh-huh. you know. But the faraway idol is it's just so epic. It's so cool. It's transcendent. It gives you a sense of, you know, living in something bigger than most people who are just – Idiots stuck in their jobs. Right. And you can just see the idolatry of yeah. it. Yeah. Right? As we're talking, I'm amazed at how easy it is to identify other people's idolatry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's uh, that pull, that quote we shared in our first conversation of uh, to go for any length of time without that sweet communion with Christ, we will turn looking for other lovers. And it seems like that's probably the best preventative is to have some dynamic, personal, daily relationship with Mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, there's no question because Jeremiah, you know, two, he says, you have forsaken me, Mm -hmm. the fountain of living waters, Mm -hmm. to go and dig for yourself Empty, broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. So the idols are not so much the point. Right. The point is your heart is a treasure. Your heart is actually the treasure of the kingdom. Your heart is what Christ died for. Mm-hmm. Your heart is what the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are battling over every day. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you're just supposed to hold your breath till heaven. <laughs> You know, it's that you have forsaken the fountain of living water. In other words, return to me. Come back to me. And then 
Jesus, you know, plays on the metaphor in John 7 when he stands up and he says, if anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink. You know, God wants to be a source of life to us, a source of sustaining love, grace, comfort, yes, meaning, purpose, transcendence, all those things you're looking for. And so as you think about letting your idols go, it's not a matter of just fasting, Mm -hmm. of just denial, self-denial. There's a place for it. Yes. But it's a matter of, first off, pay attention. Like, what am I looking for here? What am I giving my heart over to? What's actually going on? You know, it looks like food. It's actually comfort. I just want want relief. I just want to feel better for a bit. Or, you know, if it's wealth or, you know, the financial security or your 401 or whatever, you know, it's security. My heart's looking for a sense of security. I'm going to be okay. You can go on and on. You know, so to just begin to allow yourself to go, okay, what is it I'm looking for here? And then to take that raw place and not kill it, mm-hmm. don't just kill it, but give it to God. Yeah, yeah. Your idols can inform you as to some of the deepest longings of your heart and that God's put there. It's mm-hmm. just you're mm-hmm. looking in the wrong place. Yeah. Psalm 50, God's talking about idols and how we make sacrifices to these sticks and stones. And he makes this interesting just observation. He says, sacrifice your offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. And what mm. strikes me there is mm. God is just saying, hey, give me <laughs> mm. give me that place in your heart is God. And as we said earlier, idolatry usually surfaces when we're hurting, we're in pain, we're frightened, we're anxious, deep yeah. cravings. He says, turn to me yeah. in the day of trouble. Mm-hmm. I will deliver you. Mm-hmm. And as a result, mm-hmm. you will honor me. It's Okay. So let's try and illustrate what repentance looks like. Okay. You first. <laughs> well, I got a story about you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> as you're reading that psalm, mm-hmm. I'm literally suddenly convicted about this morning. God took me back. Like literally in the last 10 seconds, God took me back to this morning. So there's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot going on in our personal world. There's a lot going on at Ransomed Heart. A lot of it's good, Mm -hmm. but it requires a lot of engagement, you know. And so I wake up in the morning and the very first thing I do is go pray. And I make a discipline of do not look at your phone, do not look at your email until you have prayed. Like God first, you know. And then what I try and do is get a bite to eat and still don't look at email yet. Get a few minutes of soul time, like read something, listen to some worship, feed your soul, you know, so that I go into the day centered in God and strong, yeah. you know. Well, I didn't this morning. I just jumped straight to email, answering questions kind of thing. I mean, this is six in the morning and I knew what I was doing, you know. And, and the thing is you go, oh, come on, that's nothing. Go, oh, it's everything. 
because the fact of the matter is I wasn't trusting God to take care of my day mm-hmm. and these big things that are going on, these big projects and that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, the answer is I got to get on top of this. Yeah. And it was a very fear-based get control. What I was looking for was control. I got to control all this rather than, God, I trust you. I trust you enough to spend time with you and not dive into that. And it, it sounds so simple, but like the issues of the heart are actually mm-hmm. pretty awful. Of like, no, no, God is not what I need. Mm-hmm. That's no, let me tell you what I need. I need to get on top of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so repentance, repentance for me looks like don't grasp for control specifically in this case by going first to email in the morning when what you need is the living God. And for me, by waiting is a choice of trust that my rescue does not, you know, lie in me getting on top of things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Simple stuff like that. Yeah. See, I didn't have anything, but now I do after you're sharing. (laughs) (laughs) So last night, Lori and I were going to talk about some budget issues and medical bills and stuff. And I was so exhausted from the day. I didn't want to talk about stuff I should be talking about with my wife. And I just so subtly and quickly went to, how can I get out of this? How can I not put myself in a position where something's required of me? Mm -hmm. How can I avoid... um, Rising up, looking mm. to God together, mm. and I orchestrated it masterfully, talking about this program that was going to be on television. And gee, honey, wouldn't you like to watch that? And I was just—I <laughs> was the tempter, you know, just oh just playing God. into knowing her, just playing into and appealing to her suggesting that, why don't we do that another time? And she fell for it, and we watched this program, which I didn't really care about. It was just the relief, the comfort of not being required and not turning to God in my day of trouble. Exactly. Turning to uh, a PBS show. So, Let me give another example. By the way, I need to repent of that. I just remembered it Mm. and. So anyway, when we're done here, I'm going to fully repent. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, forgive us for the direction of our hearts. We can just go to such utter godlessness. Mm -hmm. Utter godlessness. Oh, my gosh. You know what another huge idol is of our day? And, And I get sucked into it, too. I'm surprised at the idol of knowledge. Particularly in an internet age, we have access to information on everything, you know. And so, you know, Stacy's got some physical things going on with her body and, and what looks like some generational or congenital, you know, arthritic type stuff. And friends, please don't write in and tell us your cures for that because believe me, we've researched a ton of it. But that's my point. You even mention that to people and it's like, you know, oh, you need to take so-and-so and and, oh, you need to see so-and-so. And there's this knowledge culture that our salvation is in finding 
the knowledge. Mm-hmm. And look at I believe in knowledge. I go mm-hmm. to doctors. I, you know, see nutritionists. We do all that stuff. But there's something behind it that has an energy to it mm-hmm. of this is my salvation. In the day of my trouble, you know, it's not God. Yeah. It's get on the internet, start Googling. And find, you know, what is it you're trying to do? You know, beach taxes, fix your finances, you know, overcome your cancer, you know, heal a relationship. I mean, just anything is yeah. available out there now. And there's this massive idolatry of the internet and knowledge. Like, yeah. that's my salvation. If I can just find the key to this. Yeah. John, would another word for that be the idolatry of experts? Yeah, totally. Because I can buy into so quickly that if we get the right man in for president, everything will go well. Mm -hmm. There is a doctor or there is a medical treatment that if I can get the right expert, you know, I'll be fixed. Mm -hmm. And we're looking for experts, looking to men or to others or to knowledge, as you put it. Yeah. And gang, again, of course there's a place for specialists. Of course there's a place. You know, when you're in financial trouble, you want to talk to somebody who understands that stuff. You know, when you're in physical trouble, you want to see somebody who understands that stuff. But the difference is my simple test was, you know, I found myself beginning to get on the internet and I actually hadn't even prayed. Mm -hmm. Like I literally didn't even think of turning to God. Right. It's that. It's that godlessness. Now, you know. If after several days of prayer where you are inviting God in to your fears and your need for help and comfort and wisdom and counsel and direction and provision, having done that, Lord, what do you have for us? Now God's part of the process. But it's idolatry is just simply looking to stuff without even giving a thought toward God. Mm-hmm. A substitute for him. I remember years ago, I was in a, I was having a conversation with Brent about this massive work crisis I was in, and Brent looks at me and he says, "What do you think God's up to in that?" And my answer was, "God, what does He have to do with it?" Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about God's stuff. I'm talking about this crisis at work. It's a person, frankly, uh-huh. who's being a jerk. And that's the issue. How do I handle this HR problem? You know, just our godlessness. Yeah. So repentance looks like, hang on, hang on. Before we run to those things, is our heart running to God? Yeah. Is our heart turning to him and disentangling, gang? There's a good bit of disentangling to do. It's, you know, sometimes it is simply a turning. Sometimes that's enough. Mm-hmm. Or just repentance is simply, forgive me, God. I turned from, you know, last night avoiding the, the conversation yeah. and I embraced the conversation. Sometimes that's enough. But most of the time what we're talking about, gang, with, with our true idols is that there is a real disentangling process that needs to go on here. And I'll guarantee you that that idol came in at a time in your life where there was probably wounding mm-hmm. or trauma or fear or uncertainty or you know your heart was in a vulnerable place and the idol was offered as the remedy and so 
you know, in things that really are historic idols, deep-seated idols, there's a process here. And I want to recommend at the end of the book, The Utter Relief of Holiness, which is now a paperback called Free to Live, and the subtitle is The Utter Relief of Holiness, there's a prayer process at the end of that and a discussion of like, how do you like disentangle from pretty stubborn things? Like, I don't want to just make this seem like this is simple and easy. Our listeners know that's just not true. There's a disentangling process. And I think that those those couple chapters there on what it looks like to pray through those things. And yes, there's a renouncing. You have a choice. You have a will. I renounce the ways I've turned to this. But there's also a breaking of agreements. There's probably some strongholds in there. The enemy's working, you know, some kind of warfare you're probably going to want to break off. And then down underneath all that is this tender heart. Down under there is you needing love, comfort, meaning, purpose, direction, you know, whatever it was you turned to the idol for and care and connection with God and healing and integration and those kinds of things. As we were just talking about, I thought those prayers at the end of The Utter Relief of Holiness or Free to Be Me would be really helpful. John, that is so helpful. And just using the word disentangling gives the proper or fuller perspective to idols aren't just something we can quickly abandon because so much is at stake mm-hmm. in our clinging to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember in my counseling practice back when I had a private practice – wondering why God wouldn't answer the fervent prayers of my clients and, frankly, myself for them of, you know, deliver me from this same-sex orientation. It's tormenting me. Deliver me from this, you know, addiction to food. It's tormenting me. Deliver me from this, you know, obsessive-compulsive disorder. You know, I'm destroying others through it and my family— why wouldn't God do that? And the word disentangling is wise because he doesn't want to just kill your heart. He wants it back and to free those tender places in your heart takes the brilliance of Jesus Christ. It mm. takes time. It mm. takes disentangling. It, it mm-hmm. often takes help. <laughs> you know, someone with you doing it. And that's just such a good picture of it isn't just this, you know, snap your fingers or be more disciplined or cut it out. Yeah, knock it off. Yeah, that's just not real. And the reason why, I think a lot of people wonder, why hasn't God answered my prayers for this is, well, dear hearts, there's actually a precious part of you that's entangled down in there. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't just cut it off and throw it away. He wants it back. And the disentangling process is is a little messier than we'd like to admit. Yeah. And the promise is, call upon me Mm -hmm. in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will Mm. honor me. Mm. So, Jesus, would you show us, I want to be risky enough, honest enough to say, okay, I need a fresh round. Show me my idols. Hmm. Show me my idols, God, and help me to repent, to truly disentangle and give my soul back to you. 
free my soul, God. Free my soul. Amen. Amen. Friends, we hope this conversation on idolatry has been helpful. It certainly wasn't meant to be condemning. We just know how our own hearts get trapped in all this stuff and how easy it is to just leap from one idol to the next. And so we just kind of wanted to share some of our experience and raise the category in hopes of freedom, in hopes of wholeness for you. As always, there's so much more on the Ransomed Heart website if you haven't visited for a while. Ransom Heart TV, available now with all kinds of lectures and talks and sessions that you've never heard before, and many of them on freeing your heart in situations like this. So come and join us. You've been listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast with John Eldridge and Craig McConnell.